Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. For those watching on video today, is Suit Day CJ. That's a, that's a new name I'm trying to workshop for you on days when I know you have to go to the rink after we record and you're wearing a suit. So I'm, I'm trying to workshop something. It's funny. I, like I was going to say, there's not much mystery. It's usually if there's a game day, it's a suit day. Cause we record first thing in the morning and I got to run on to the next jobs after this one. Okay. Uh, this is my opportunity to ask because uh, tomorrow I will be on a plane to Florida for the flames Panthers game. I would love to know suggestions from yourself on how I should dress at FLA Live Arena. Oh, man, I'm the wrong guy. I, I would be wearing a suit like all the times I've covered a game down there in, in Florida. That's been what I've had to wear. Usually I've been doing that with TV duties. So, you know, you got way more style than I do. I don't think you need any advice from me. Oh, I mean, more less about like, OK, like stylistically how i should dress i mean more like how cold is the arena like daniel nugent bowman uh, who covers the oilers for uh the athletic was saying it's cold but i also want to know i, wa- I want to get a second source on this like should i bother wearing the suit or should i wear like could i get away with wearing a sweater or could i get away with just wearing like a short sleeve dress shirt and like jeans or something oh i don't i don't think you get away with short sleeves but I don't remember that rink being particularly cold either, not to challenge DMB. Uh, but that just doesn't that doesn't plant in my memory as one of the like Buffalo is a really cold rink. And there's like there's like wind tunnels blowing through it. So it feels even colder, for example. But I don't I don't think of the rink in Florida that way. Uh, they used to have some pretty greasy uh, snacks in the press box. I don't know if that's still the case, but they they at one point in time would like bring out chicken wings and stuff like that, which. Frankly, I'm not saying there should be in any press box, but you usually don't get that in press boxes. Um, but, you know, let's face it. One of the highlights of covering a game down there is hopefully staying somewhere near Fort Lauderdale and maybe walking the beach in the afternoon or going for lunch on a patio or something like that. OK, I'm going to try to do that in between my time in Florida. Anyway, uh, hockey talk is what people came here for. And what stay I out of the elbow to... room, stay out of the yeah. elbow room, the I've elbow seen... room. Oh, I've seen many in NHL related person not just journalists uh have a wayward night at the elbow room 
Okay. All right. Warning. Heated. Famous, famous bar on the Fort Lauderdale beach stretch. Stay out of the elbow room. I feel like, I feel like you've, you've, you, I mean, you don't have to, if you don't want to, but I feel like you have a story there. I don't have one story. I've got about 32 stories. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, I would say it's like the, it's the main haunt on the circuit for like, I've seen player agents in there. I've drank with GMs in there. Uh, I'm sure officials go there. I can't recall seeing one. And then of course, all of our media colleagues tend to go there. So it's, it's just one of those places, you know, there's no one specific story. I don't, I'm not trying to like allude to anything here. It's just, it's one of those kind of fun bars that somehow all NHL people end up in. And, you know, my experience when you travel with an, like cover one team all the time, usually those games when you're in Florida is when it's more relaxed, you know, even around the team, even like the coach and GM, like, if I think of the places where I've had a beverage with with someone immediately with the team, like it's usually somewhere like Florida or sometimes California. For whatever reason, I think just the vibes get a little loosened there. And so anyway, just just giving you advice. I mean, on one hand, I want to tell you to go to the elbow room, but but be prepared for uh, a tough morning if you do. Now this makes me want to go to the elbow room. I don't know this now. Now I feel like, you know, if after the game, because I think the Panthers Flames game is in the afternoon on Saturday. So if we get to writing, oh, we'll probably get to the elbow room at a decent hour, which probably means I don't have to be there at like three in the morning getting myself in trouble. That's not so bad. Right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll we'll take this conversation offline, but uh, <laughs> our, our, our loyal listeners should know that there there are a few places around the league. That um, like it'll be fun this year's this year's all star weekend is in Fort Lauderdale slash sunrise. So I like it'll be hard to get into the elbow room, I would predict uh, on all star weekend because there'll be so many NHL types trying to do so. Um, And it was very much like that. The draft was there in 2015. It It was like that. So anyway, I digress. Okay, last thing, and then I promise I will get on an NHL topic before we get to sports interaction. Ziggy's or the elbow room? Oh, don't you don't. I, I just want to. I just want to know. I just want to know. All of my children equally, Julian. Oh <laughs> I can love a bar in, in each city and not have to pick one or the other. Oh yeah, I just want. I just want to know if there was a clear winner between oh. the two. I mean, because now I have to go to the elbow room if you can't pick. Well, it's just the elbow room is literally on Fort Lauderdale Beach. And, you know, because we cover a sport played in winter, so often you get on a road trip there in like December or even November and, and you get out of the snow and you can put on some shorts and it's just a really relaxed vibe. It's nothing crazy. It's just it's it's a fun bar that's right on the beach. And and so that it's hard to say I would take that over a slightly dingy basement bar in Montreal. It's hard not to say I would take that, but I love Ziggy's too. So why you have me out here saying anything bad about Ziggy's? I'm not asking you to say nothing bad about Ziggy's. I'm just asking just a preference. You don't have to shit on Ziggy's. You could just be like, you know what? Like both, both, bars, both bars bring something in common. they like never tell you to go home. They just never close. It feels like so. Anyway. Christopher, Chris Johnston, this is, here's the thing, man. You're laughing and be like, oh, we got to take this offline. This is the content people love on this show, man. Like, really? I feel like a lot of people are clicking ahead right now. They're like, come on, <laughs> it's the hockey. What are you guys talking the, about? 
That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. They would like to know about uh, some of the NHL gossip uh, that uh, I know, at least before we were recording uh, yesterday, you were teasing about uh, for us to get to on today's show. Um, I did want to get to uh, a column that uh, my colleague at The Athletic, uh, Marat Atash, uh, wrote earlier this week called The Winnipeg Jets deserve more respect than they're getting so far what what a what a turn we go from florida to winnipeg you go from heat to cold uh but yeah like the, the jets are near some the good top bars the... in winnipeg too don't worry about that oh okay when it comes time you, for me to go to winnipeg <laughs> thank you when it comes time for that please yes uh they're near the top of the central division uh nine four and one record i'd love to know your thoughts on the winnipeg jets and if it's time for us as national media regional, national, whatever, to respect the Winnipeg Jets more? Well, I don't disrespect them. So, I mean, we, we can't start Me from neither. a place. Like, we should not start this conversation from a place where I think they're a bad team. Like, that, I mean, I, I think we've been pretty consistent the times we've touched on them during season two of our, our pod here that they, they're a team that's intrigued me with the coaching change they made because they have skilled players, because they had an obvious flaw, which was their defensive play as a team. In recent seasons, it was one thing that held them back, and they they bring in a coach in Rick Bonus, who's known for for fixing those types of things. I mean, I, I was intrigued by the Jets. I I would say that I still need to see more um, before I'm. I mean, this is why we haven't done. Tell me, you're at. We haven't done the contenders pretenders yet. We we need a little bit more sample size, I think, before I'm making any big pronouncements. I'm not putting the J word on anybody or anything like this. I mean, let's face it, if we're putting the J word on anyone, it's probably the New Jersey Devils at this point in time, but I'm not even saddling them Ooh, with that. Ooh, I don't know. So, so I what I will say, though, is like clearly good start to the year. They've got a pretty deep forward lineup. Uh, Connor Hellbuck's played well. So, I mean, they, look, they're and they're, I think you're seeing some improvement, but I, I need to see more. I respect Murat's opinion, but I, uh, so many times, 15 games into a season, you make a big pronouncement and all the air comes out. There's still a lot of runway left here for, for all teams. And that's and that's why I think we should withhold our judgment to some degree on, on most teams. I mean, we were we were kicking St. Louis pretty hard, and now all of a sudden the Blues have put four straight wins back together and they, they don't look you know quite so bad. So let's let's let the water find its level still. You're I actually like that. Let's let water find its levels still. Where do you come up with all of these sayings, Siege? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I heard a few. I, there's this old guy at the elbow room once, and he was just whispering all these <laughs> these things into my ear, and they just they've stuck. <laughs> what the hell? What the random sage. guy at the elbow room was whispering things into your ear? The sage reporter. I, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where that all comes from. <laughs> Not, it's not planned. Easy. I'll tell you that much. You could have easily like fooled everyone and been like this wise sage old man who <laughs> covered the Panthers for twenty years just sits at the elbow room and just whispers sweet, maybe not sweet nothings, but just great things into your ear. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of philosophical lessons to be learned there. Oh man! All right, so we're definitely taking that part of our conversation offline, but in the meantime. Uh, it's time to bring on David Bastel from Sports Interaction. As always, uh, it's for those 19 and over, and we ask that you please play responsibly, and there will be a link to Responsible Gaming Strategies in the description of this show. Uh, this is called You Can Bet That. Play the intro. Let's talk about Hockey Canada. Um, this week, another 
set of parliamentary hearings going down. Bob Nicholson, once upon a time the CEO and president of Hockey Canada, now working with the Edmonton Oilers, uh, called to speak in front of the Canadian government. Also, uh, Pat McLaughlin, the senior vice president of strategy, uh, also called to speak this week. Uh, the big headline out of that is that uh, Hockey Canada paid about $1.6 million to a crisis management firm named Navigator, and they've done so since July. But they they stress that they have not used public funds uh, for that $1.6 million. Uh, there are a few other things, but we can get into that, Siege. I would love to know your your thoughts and whatever insight you have on what transpired this week with Hockey Canada. Well, that's not just a crisis management firm, Navigator. That's the crisis management firm if you are up to your neck in a situation. So, you know, I'm not surprised. I'm not even saying they shouldn't be hiring these types of firms. I, I know how it looks, but, um, you know, obviously that organization was facing a pretty um, big set of challenges. I don't know what advice was given, what was taken. You know, it's hard. We, we can't really parse that down, but um you know i i would say that that that's probably standard industry practice when you when you find yourself in a crisis um but let's face it hockey canada didn't end up managing that crisis too well they're they've completely basically disbanded their leadership group and team and rebuilding that there's a board meeting coming up in december the 17th i have in my mind but in or around december 17th where they're going to reconstitute the board eventually hire a new ceo and uh, hopefully put a lot of the stuff in the in the past. You know, the other thought I had on on the parliamentary hearings this week, though, was you've had a much more contrite, honest, seeming responses from Bob Nicholson than a lot of the previous ones. Of course, what the difference is here, Bob now works for the Edmonton Oilers uh, and and hasn't worked at Hockey Canada for years. I mean, Hockey Canada, in a lot of ways, though, is his baby professionally. He turned that organization completely around from when he took it over to when he left uh, in a lot of ways. But but obviously, uh, as he acknowledged, there were some shortcomings uh, that that he had and maybe not establishing the right culture or, or allowing some of these things to slip. But he he was far more, in my opinion, open and honest when when, when fielding questions. And we saw the previous couple rounds of, of these these questions. And so. You know, I guess it's probably easier to speak more freely when you're not trying to protect the job at this point in time. But, um, you know, it, it it was it was interesting. You know, I missed it on the day, but I went back and listened to some of what they put together, and and I thought I thought he was was pretty straightforward with with all of his thoughts. It didn't didn't feel like he was deflecting any questions or anything like that. Two notable things from Bob uh, at the hearing. Uh, he says he takes operational responsibility. Uh, for at least two of the slush funds that were created. And he apologized for not having written guidelines in place on how Hockey Canada should handle sexual assault claims. To your point about how Bob has responded to all of this, I mean, still, he's going to come under scrutiny, under criticism. We think of the... It's weird to say actors, but we think of the people involved with some of the lawsuits that have been brought about involving Hockey Canada, notably involving athletes who have turned to players and people are wondering what should go come to them if they're deemed guilty. Shouldn't some of that same pressure be applied to Bob Nicholson, who currently works in an NHL role? Well, I suspect it is. You know, I, I don't know how 
his boss feels. I mean, ultimately, he works for Dale Daryl Cates, the owner of the Edmonton Oilers, and and you know the difference between Hockey Canada, which is a nonprofit company that that has a lot of jurisdictional requirements to report to governments, and you know a lot of these things is it's a private company, the Oilers. So I, I don't know what his boss will do, but I suspect that there there are some of those questions being asked. Um, you know, it's a complicated legacy. I think it's this is this highlights though in the world that as much as we all want to run to sort of, you know, it's black and white, right and wrong, you know, that there is some gray uh, always and, and things are complicated. And, and, you know, Hockey Canada under Bob stewardship literally became a behemoth in terms of the money it generated, the success the teams had on both the world junior level, the women's game and the men's game. And yet this culture also, you know, when you pick up the rock and look under it is left behind too. And so, um, you know, that all goes on his record. I think that's what he said himself. Um, you know, he mentioned, you know, the times that he was personally involved with maybe meeting a victim or their family. And, and so often the discussions they had at the board level were in camera, it's called. So basically those weren't all of that was never documented in a formal way in their meeting notes. And so a lot of it kind of gets lost to history in our imagination, I suppose. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a hard, I think it's a hard record to judge fully. And I do think he's worthy of those questions being asked and, and, you know, we'll see what, uh, what, what his boss thinks. Cause that's, that's ultimately what's going to happen. I mean, I guess public pressure could, could have some role in that outcome, but I, I don't really see it going down that way. It's, it's a little, it's, it, it's different than he's now moved on in this job with the Oilers. And I think it had, he still been running the hockey can itself. That's my that's close to what I think about it, too. If if he was still working with Hockey Canada, it would be a lot easier for people to say, hey, step down from this job or or resign or what, how, what have you. Uh, the fact that he uh, is no longer working in that role and he has since moved on to an NHL team. I wonder what that means. I, I think he should be under an immense pressure and immense scrutiny. I don't know if it will translate into him losing his job with the Edmonton Oilers. I, I have questions about that. And I wonder, uh, yeah, I wonder about that. There's a lot to take in from that, but, um, well, there's yeah, scrutiny just, in the process, yeah. right? I mean, he had the hundred percent like that. I'm sure he felt a lot of personal pressure. I haven't spoken to Bob since he did this, but he felt personal pressure and scrutiny in, in, in that parliamentary hearing. He's, I mean, look, it can't be comfortable. I mean, he, he should be proud of a lot of the things that happened at Hockey Canada, but he, he must feel shame in this way too. And I think yes, I saw he should exactly. But I saw contrition in him. Honestly, like I, I didn't see someone up there trying to protect his record. I, I saw someone taking responsibility and saying, and not that's the other thing. He wasn't deflecting and saying, well, this person should have done it or this person. He's like, I was at the top. I was responsible. This happened on my watch. This shouldn't have happened. We should have done, you know, like I've at least, I think that there were there was definitely elements of contrition to what he was saying. And I did and I didn't think he was evading questions and or trying to blame someone else. I I thought I, I thought he he took that pressure. And then now you just wonder I don't know what happens next. I mean, I, I'm still we haven't seen a process like this, right? Is there gonna be more parliamentary sessions? Is this I, I don't really know what happens next when it comes to some of the the former people involved. Just, you know, obviously we're getting close to the point where hockey can is actually gonna hire a new board and eventually put a new leadership team in place and and try to move forward and i wonder if this means if with everything new going in i know some people have wondered oh well you have to 
you have to swipe everything and make it clean with Hockey Canada. If that means you have to change the name or anything like that, you know, I don't know if they would want to still carry on that legacy that they've unfortunately built for themselves. Yeah. And I, I think that discussion has to happen with the new leadership though, right? It can't, in this interim period, there's, I don't want to say there's no one running the organization. There are obviously, you know, you still have someone like Scott Salmon who, who runs the men's national teams. I'm sure he's up to his elbows with the world juniors because we're not that far from world junior select, you know, like there are people doing the day-to-day operational tasks, but there's no one at, at the highest level making decisions for the future of the organization just yet. And that's, that's what comes next once they get this board in place. All right. We will leave it there when it comes to uh, hockey Canada. And of course, as we've tried to do throughout this entire process, we will continue to discuss it when uh, other, other news arises. The annual general manager meetings for this week, which I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit confused because I thought we had GM meetings in March, but there's more off this week. Am I wrong? Am I just not thinking straight for a Thursday morning? Tell me, you're, CJ. You're right. There's there's a calendar to this. And really, what the November GM meetings are about, this happens every year around Hall of Fame weekend, uh, at least in a, a post-COVID or pre-COVID world, that was the plan. And and. The GMs get together. I think they take a look at early trends in the season. They talk about, they, they identify areas where they might be looking to make rule changes. And then ultimately that all gets passed to the longer GM meetings in March, which is a three-day event after the trade deadline, you know, ostensibly a less pressure-filled time for, for general managers because there's nothing they can do. They're kind of locked in with their teams and they spend three days where that's where you see changes happen to the rule book. And, and over the years, there's been some significant ones being down there, you know, the creation of rule 48, which, you know, was at the time was a huge controversial um, rule and, and, and the like. So that's, that's what went on. But the other interesting part, of course, about November is we are getting to the point where GMs are getting a sense of their teams and it just so happens they're all in the same uh, room and, and maybe a chance to take some of their conversations offline and, and start to, to work on some trade chatter. And I think that, you know, we'll, we'll see some of that percolate out here in the next few weeks. Seems like uh, two GMs who come to mind when it comes to trade chatter, at least they're the more front facing off of these meetings, Pierre Dorian with uh, the Ottawa Senators and uh, Mike Greer with the San Jose Sharks. Which one should we start with first? Are Pierre and uh, the Sens and, and what they might be looking for or are Mike Greer and San Jose with Eric Carlson? Well, let's jump in on Eric Carlson. I mean, we're talking about, you know, it was actually a player that Mike Greer described to us reporters as one of the three best offensive defensemen in the league in his view. Um, you know, obviously having a great year this season, we, which we've touched on a few times. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting that he acknowledged publicly that he would listen. I suppose if you're him, you might say, well, how is that news, guys? If you, you listen on everybody, right? I mean, you might get into some semantics there. But, you know, if there was ever to be a Carlson trade, and that's still a big if, you know, because of the price tag attached to him. You know, he's he doesn't just have eleven and a half million this year. It's for the next four years beyond this too, which, um, you know, is I'm not going to say I actually don't believe it's immovable because of how well he's played. But I, I think it it's a very difficult contract to contemplate trading. But the sides are going to need each other, right? Eric Carlson has a full no move clause, uh, so he's going to have to work with San Jose if they do look to move him on places he's willing to play, where what the right fit might be. And I think ultimately they're going to have to retain perhaps even a significant amount of salary to make that trade work or, or at least take back players or, or something to have the books be balanced. But I, I certainly think it's possible. You know, we saw them work with Brent Burns and trading him to Carolina in the offseason. You know, what Mike Greer said that didn't get as much attention was 
I'm going to have these conversations with all my veteran players. He said, you know, this is, this is a, a former player that's jumped into this seat and clearly wants to, I don't know if it's a full rebuild or retool. You know, I, I actually don't know what Mike Greer's true vision is, but he definitely wants to trade some veterans. And I think he wants to do right by the players because he understands what it's like to be a player. So I think they're going to be a very interesting team leading up to March 3rd. And, and if Eric Carlson keeps playing well, maybe we get a blockbuster. I mean, I, 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 I won't rule that out. Um, I know that I'm in the minority because someone out there is going to say, there's no way you can trade them at 11 million. But what happens if they get that down to 7 million? Uh, just to throw out a number and, and you look at how well he's performing. I, I think that there are teams out there that can at least talk themselves into it, even though there's clearly risk because of Eric's age and, and, you know, the injuries he's had, you know, you, you just don't know if the next four seasons, what they're going to look like for him. That's very true, but Hey, you know what, in the age of uh, wanting to win now and getting yourself ready for the playoffs, maybe it is a worthwhile deal. It'd be awesome if you could anyway. trade it back to Ottawa. I mean, I thought about that. I realize it's it's so unlikely, but you know he he married a woman from Ottawa. He he spends a lot of his off season time there. I know he he split last summer between Sweden and Ottawa, but you know he's got deep ties to the city. You know he wrote a actually a really nice piece or with the help of the Players Tribune about his relationship with Daniel Alfredson. I mean there would be a sort of storybook quality to seeing him back in a Senators sweater. Uh, I'm not sure it can work or will happen, but I mean. You know, I, I try to look for places where it might make sense. You know, could he could he be a fit in Florida? Um, you know, they have some cap challenges, but, I, you know, th- there's maybe some ways to make that work. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of where he would want to go, where, you know, where it lines up. There's only a, a handful of places is kind of the point. Um, but, it, you know, the, the sentimentalist in me, we, we would love to see him back in, with the Senators at some point. That would be cool. Uh, I wonder uh, how involved they would be if they already deal with uh, their whole on defense. We've been talking about the Senators being linked to a defenseman for months on end, it feels like. Yeah, and they're still pursuing that. And, you know, look, the Senators, it's not an easy trade for them to make. You know, right now they have Nikita Zaitsev, who they passed through waivers and has kind of been in limbo. They didn't send him to the American Hockey League, but... You know, he makes four and a half million dollars, you know, and he's basically not playing when, when everyone's healthy, at least, um, you know, the one thing Pierre Dorian, I thought was interesting in chatting with him a bit is he he's of the view that maybe the, the solution is internal that, you know, they're, they're really leaning on Jake Sanderson and Jacob Bernard Docker, um, you know, some of these guys that younger players and, and playing them more minutes than they'd ever get to play. And, 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 he kind of mused like you, you never know you do that. And, and one of them really takes off and, and you find your solution that, you know, you don't give up assets for, of course, the name, I think that's more fair to connect them to is, is Jacob Chikrin, um, you know, who's, who's also still very much on the market. He's about to make his return um, from off season surgery and play for the coyotes. And, and, you know, this is a player that senators have inquired on and had conversations on, but have have balked at the price to this point. And so it's all starting to swirl if you if you see what's out there. And and certainly Pierre Dorian didn't shy away from the fact that he's he's been very active in trying to make a move um because they've had some injuries. And I think they just they don't have enough talent right now on the back end to to get to where they want to go to. But you know, I think the team the Sens actually are a team that have probably their record is worse than the way they've played. And 
So, you know, I think it's worth them pursuing this because I still think they could salvage something this season. I don't, I don't, I don't think they've, they've dug too deep of a hole. And I actually think that the results suggest that they should be in for, they should be in for some more wins here coming up. Are there any other teams circling in on Jacob Chikrin? Not right now. You know, I think what a lot of teams want to do is see him play, right? He hasn't, he's played about six minutes of ice time in eight months or something. Um, And so it's, it's hard to, you know, Arizona wants two first round picks for Jacob Chikrin. Um, I'm not saying they'll get that, but you know, the point is, is this is a young cost controlled defenseman on a pretty good contract. Um, And, you know, isn't that far removed from a, you know, a big season. And so I think any team that wants to look at him has to, wants to see him play and see what he looks like after these surgeries he's had, you know, he's had a couple knee surgeries. I think he had a shoulder issue. He's had a wrist issue. So, you know, he's, he's, he's dealt with a lot, even though he's a pretty young guy, but, you know, I wonder about teams like Edmonton or Toronto, you know, if, if he becomes an option for them when he gets back, but I think they've got to see him play. Like it's, it's, it, that's not reporting that they're trying, they're banging down the door at this point. Cause I think everyone needs to know what version of him exists after, you know, this, this long layoff and some of the injury problems he's had. Hold on Toronto for a second. Cause I do have a question about them uh, for this segment here. I'm also curious about uh, the Calgary Flames. Uh, I know from training camp that they've wanted to get a uh, a top nine or a top six forward. Uh, they tried with Sonny Milano. It did not work for them. Cody Eakin was brought in maybe of a little lesser quality for what they would have wanted, but that did not work. Uh, Elliot Friedman was saying that they're still that they're still looking for a forward as of last weekend uh, on his own show. Uh, still seems as if Calgary is still looking considering what's going on with them this season. Well, yeah. And look, I would suspect that we're going to see that trade somewhere between now and March 3rd. But the question is when, right? And I, that's hardly a uh, bold prediction, but, but you know, when you have a need that's that clearly identified, you know, obviously the, the front office and scouting staff goes around the league and identifies all the potential targets and, you know, Brad True Living makes his calls and sees if there's any fits anywhere. And, you know, th- this can be a long process. Um, but, you know, it seems as though that, that, is where Calgary is going to do its shopping. You know, they like basically the whole league have only so much cap space to deal with. It's easier to make deals. Uh, well, at least if you're out of LTI uh, as it gets closer to the deadline, because uh, you accrue cap space as the season goes along. And so I think that there's, there's a number of factors that play into that, but, but, you know, I Calgary still feels it's, it's one short and, and, you know, let, let's see where it goes there. You know, the funny thing about the Leafs and because and you said hold on Toronto is is you know the news in the last few days of course is that Jake Muzzin is very unlikely to return this year uh, dealing with a spinal injury uh, and we certainly wish him well on a personal level the Leafs now have his cap space you know in play but I think there's going to be a debate when all is said and done do they use it on a forward themselves or is it a straight defenseman I mean right now you you'd say the odds probably are that they're a defenseman short um, of what they want to be but they're they're a little bit like Ottawa in a sense. Now they have more minutes to give to Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Liljegren. Um, you know they're using Jordy Ben as as a depth option. I mean maybe maybe they find some grouping of players uh, even without Muzzin that they like back there, and then they they commit that cap space to bring in another forward because you know in recent years they haven't had the ability to bring in. You know if you have a five point six two five, which is the the cap hit for Muzzin at the deadline in LTI. 
and you haven't used it, I mean, you could bring in a 10 or $11 million player with half retention, for example. Uh, have you, do you know anyone that fits that mold? I, I can't think of uh, anything. Um, there might be a couple, I a couple think guys in Chicago the, at least we're thinking Chicago, about. Yeah, Chicago kind of gets into my mind. I don't know why. I think of Chicago and deep dish pizza. Right. But so, but I think this is how I would encourage you to look at the lease situation because a lot of my colleagues have noticed they announced this Muzzin news and everyone's like, all right, who are they trading for on D? It's like, I actually think, and the team started winning again too, right? Even without Muzzin, even without TJ Brody, who's injured right now. Um, I think they have the luxury of waiting to see how their team comes together and then figuring out where, where they might have the best need as, as it just gives them flexibility. They don't usually have. Um, and so I don't think you can rule out that they're in the market for a forward too. So I think the Leafs could go either way. Obviously they, there could be a combination of players too. It doesn't mean you have to go spend it all on one player. Maybe you're bringing multiple players, but uh, the deadline, I think we're going to have a, a kind of a crazy year for trades. It just, because nothing is happening now, uh, which you would think is a bad thing, but I, I think it creates more pressure in the system. Like I, I think ultimately it's going to lead to more, more of a release, I guess, as we get into the new year. Um, because that was the one sense I got from talking to a number of the GMs after the meeting here in Toronto this week is just a lot of them are having trouble getting anywhere with anything on trades right now. And, and we have some teams that are unexpectedly good, right? Some of the teams we might've thought could be sellers. have had a strong start. You, you look at Seattle, um, all, all kinds. I mean, even Arizona, right? I'm not saying that they're going to be buyers, but, but they've, they've had a better than expected start. Chicago's had a better than expected start. Um, and so it's a long way of getting to the point that I think that, that this is going to be a pretty, pretty interesting few months on, on the trade market. Once it gets heated up, it's not, not, not fully boiled yet. It's just starting to take shape with a meeting like this week's Friday, March 3rd. I hope you don't have too many plans for that day. Cause uh, if it is as crazy as you say, I think we could be in for a really fun one. We'll find my a only, way to make that work. My only plan is don't call me March 4th <laughs> or, or don't that. expect Maybe actually, maybe we'll do a pod March 4th. But other than that, I'm not doing any work that day because the, the very fair because the weeks leading up is like it's it's relentless. It's fun. It's great. Don't get me wrong. It's not a complaint, but uh, there's nothing quite like the days after the trade deadline when you can kind of kick back a little bit. So I can imagine um, actually the day before a trade deadline day, the Leafs are in Calgary. I, I guess that means I can't count on you being in Calgary you for can. that trip. I'm telling you, if it was any other time of the season, I would have made a way to be there. Uh, but it's it's literally the least from their Western Canada road trip during the deadline. I, I got to be in Toronto in studio with TSN and, and all that. So it doesn't mean I won't get to Calgary some other time this season. I just have to find a creative way. Uh, other than that, or maybe the day after the trade deadline, we just meet at the elbow room and we'll call it even. <laughs> we just fly to Florida. <laughs> um, so we'll do the pod to- from the elbow room. Oh my God! You, elbow room. If you happen to be listening, I mean, we got to find a way to get them to listen to this. I guess I, when I eventually go there, I'll I'll slip this into to these guys. Be like, hey, uh, you want to work out something? That'd be a great live, uh, great live show opportunity. It would be. I don't know if we have many fans in South Florida, but but it would be fun for us to just set up, you know, relax, get a little sun, and uh, hash over the trade deadline. 
or maybe all-star game weekend idea if we could find a way to get the big boss man uh adam wild to get me there because i don't know if the <laughs> athletic will let me there anyway that is just workshopping those ideas uh, two quick things before we get to stick taps and cross checks um interesting uh two other topics here that actually have nothing to do with trade chatter um, we all saw what happened, unfortunately, to Evander Kane a couple of days ago with uh, him getting his wrist cut in a game. I'm wondering if uh, in those meetings or if anywhere around the league, there's been some discussions about how to prevent any of those situations from happening again. Yeah, there's, a, I think, four approved sort of sleeves, protective sleeves are called. Uh, so there's, you know, different ones. I'm sure certain players like the feel of one versus another that are uh, currently an option for NHL players. Some players do wear them. Uh, there's also ones that protect the Achilles. So back, you know, because we've seen, you know, Eric Carlson way back in the day, David Boland, you know, a few players have had their Achilles accidentally sliced by an opponent's skate. Um, you know, what the discussion, though, is one GM did ask, at least my understanding of it is, can we mandate this for players? And they, they actually can't. You know, the NHL Players Association has a, a complete say in, in any of those types of changes to the rules or the rule book. Um, but, you know, maybe it's something down the road with more discussion, more studying you might see, because this is obviously very significant and serious injuries that, that can happen. You hate to say it in any single game. There wasn't just the Eric, Carl, uh, Eric sorry, pardon me, Evander Kane incident in, in Tampa last week. There, there was actually an, an international tournament in Finland last week called the Karyala Cup, and a player there had had his uh, wrist cut by a skate. So, I mean, it's it's a little more common maybe than we want to think about because it's not a great topic and it could have some really serious repercussions. You know, if what happened to Evander Kane happened in a beer league game and there isn't the medical personnel around, I mean, the, the outcome might be much worse. So, um, you know, there's no, nothing yet happening, but I could see a, a world down the road where it gets mandated and grandfathered in the way visors were about 10 years ago, right? There was a rule brought in, I think it was around 2013 and said, anyone new in the league from now on has to wear a visor. If you were in the league before now, you have the choice. I, I could see that that kind of adoption cycle happen at, at some point. And, you know, it only makes sense uh, that, that you'd want to protect players as much as you can. I mean, I don't think uh, I don't think there's any debate about that. Absolutely. And the last thing, uh, this obviously, obviously with uh, with the Mitchell Miller news that came about uh, in the last few episodes that we did. Uh, did GMs come together and discuss that uh, at their meetings or has there been any other discussion about that? Yeah, I was told there was a discussion on Tuesday about that, that Gary Bettman addressed it, you know, went through some of the the issues and, you know, as it was relayed to me, not from Gary Bettman, by someone in the room, basically gave the, the, the advice, I guess, to, that the league would like to have more discussion if you before you sign players, if you think there's going to be issues like this or backlash like this or something to discuss. And, and also that he made what, you know, is the point that we've all asked, like, is it really worth it? Like if you have to have these discussions, I think he urged the GMs to think twice um, that about these sort of decisions. So it, I think that the league, it sounds like wanted to clear the air or, or maybe clear up any misconceptions around that. There was, there's nothing pertaining to discipline or anything like that for the Bruins, but, but just, they they did go over that situation uh, from from what I was told and and I think the commissioner politely reminded everyone to think twice before they they, they try to do something like this. Okay, all right, a lot we just delved into over this last little while. It's now time for stick taps, but uh, I've we've decided to slightly change around the segment 
uh, for good here. So not only will this be called stick taps, we're calling it stick taps and cross checks. And uh, this comes after last Thursday when CJ decided to uh, turn his stick tap into a uh, what did you call it? A, a hit from behind? I don't I don't know what I referred to it as, but I I went after Elon Musk and I I, I took a major for cross checking. I had a hearing with the Department of Player Safety. I'm still waiting to, to find out what my suspension looks like. I feel like it would be pretty redundant for them to do that, considering we have no idea what the future of Twitter is going to be. Uh, I'm going to uh, use a stick tap this week and uh, just say thank you to everyone who has been sending me uh, a lot of uh, love and praise for uh, the article I wrote this week uh, for The Athletic. Uh, an oral history detailing the Matthew Kachuk, Jonathan Huberdeau trade uh, it took me a lot of work to put together almost like a month and a half, almost two months uh, and I'm really happy that people are enjoying it. I'm happy that people are subscribing to The Athletic through that article. Um, so I just want to take the time just to say thank you and uh, stick taps to uh, everybody. Thank you. Great article, bud. Um, I'm going to give a stick tap today. I'm not I'm not I don't think I'm going to use the cross check a lot. Like I I, I want to promote. It's an option. It's there. I want to see happiness in the world, man. I, I want to focus on all the good things. And there's so many good things around us. And And so. The cross check will be lightly used, I would predict by me. But so I'll give a stick tap today to Trevor Moore, a player for the Los Angeles Kings. I got to know a little bit during his time in Toronto, scored his first career hat trick on Wednesday night in Edmonton. Great guy, the sort of role player that you wouldn't expect to score too many hat tricks. It was cool to see how happy he was. And it's just neat. He's a native of Thousand Oaks, California, and gets to play for the LA Kings and live his dream. And uh, I was happy to see Trevor have some success in that game last night. A peaceful, pleasant end uh to our thursday edition of the chris johnston show cj thank you as always uh thank you for uh well everyone watching at home or listening however you listen to this podcast thank you uh for listening to our podcast uh subscribe to the podcast however you listen to podcasts whether it's apple podcast spotify amazon whatever doesn't matter subscribe to the podcast subscribe to the youtube channel we'll be back on monday with uh, a new episode Please get your questions in, whether you're on our Discord or whether you are just someone on Twitter. Hey, maybe Twitter will still be a thing on Monday in time for Ask CJ. For CJ, I'm Julian saying so long. In peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.